Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. As you have Psalm 73 open before you, I'm going to just go ahead and jump in, and I want us to look at one verse in particular. You have Psalm 73 in front of you. I want you to look at verse 25. Verse 25 of Psalm 73 says this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. That verse right there became my all-consuming life verse the last year I was in seminary. As I faced the last year in seminary, I had no job lined up, which means I didn't know what my future, what was going to happen. Anybody have uncertain futures right now? Yeah, that's what I was feeling. Uh, and also, I, I had no prospects of marriage. Praise God, honey. Yeah. But that, we didn't, that wasn't in, in the thoughts there that, for that last year of marriage. And so I was like, what, what's going to happen here? And so perhaps th- that's you. And also, not only did I have no job, no prospects, but I, was, I had my grandma in tow. I was taking care of my grandma during that time. It was, it was a really difficult time. And I don't know if you're towing some things right now as well or some things that are very challenging for you. And to top it all off, I was worn down and depressed. Anybody? Anybody? This verse right here popped it big on my wall, and I desire to live in it every day. Whom do I in heaven but you? And on earth, there's nothing I desire beside you. And it's, it's a verse where it's attempting to get the people of God to, to live in the sufficiency of God. It's a verse that pretty much says that God and God alone is enough. No matter what's going on, no matter how uncertain life may feel for you right now, no matter how painful it may be for you right now, that God and God alone is enough. And that's where I want to live even today. But sometimes in order to come to that realization, unfortunately, we have to go through times of doubt, challenges, and pain. Sometimes we got to get really low before we decide and understand that God and God alone is enough. And that's what happened to this guy in Psalm 73. Look at it. Psalm 73. This psalm was written by a worship leader named Elson. No, that's our worship leader over there. You awake, brother? Yeah. No. It is written by Asaph. He was in King David's court. And the reality is that even worship leaders and spiritual leaders have these crises of faith in their lives sometimes. We all have doubts. And what follows is an honest assessment. I I bet you're you're probably wondering, is this really in the word of God? Are people, can they really talk like this in their prayers? Well, 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 he did. He had this honest assessment of what happened to him. 
and his recovery to grasp the sufficiency of God. So we're going to see Asaph's journey. And I want you to think about this in two halves. The first half is disorientation. And we'll see a bit of that. And the second half is going to be reorientation. And we're going to see what changes to go from one to the other. You ready for this? Let's start with disorientation. Start with verse 1, Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, it's clear from the outset here that Asaph is rooted in the reality that God is good, not only to Israel, but also to those who are pure in heart, to those who are all in for God. But the reality of this goodness and what it's supposed to look like is what tripped him up. He says specifically, my feet came close to stumbling my steps had almost slipped because he looked out and he saw the wicked and the arrogant prospering and it made him envious. So to make sure you understand what tripped him up here. He believes that God is good to those who love him and they're all in and God is, is going to get all the wicked and the arrogant. But what he is seeing is that he is not prospering, and he sees the wicked are prospering, and he's like, what's up? And he starts to feel envious. You know what envy is? Some have called envy the sideways glance. Like you're good, and you're fine living your life until you look at the person next to you and how they're living, and you're like, Oh, I, I wish I had their life. I wish I had their money. I wish I had their looks. I wish I had their talents. I wish I had their spouse. Uh-oh. Now we're, yeah. It's called the sideways glance. And this envy is killing him. And just, just to make sure you know what I'm talking about, I'm going to ask you some specific questions, some diagnostic questions to examine your heart for envy. All right? Here's some questions. All right? Number one. Do you tend to stew on the idea that some people have blessings you don't think they deserve? No, not me. All right, number two, are you prone to judging people according to their appearance? Number three, do you often size up other people in the room, measuring how they compare with you according to appearance, stature, or position in society? And number four, it's got to be all of us on this last one. Are you nagged by a constant feeling of discontent? Ugh. No matter what you're feeling, the psalmist's situation is worse than yours. And let me tell you why. It's because his envy and discontent was theological. It was theological. He believed that God is good to those who love him. But all he sees is the wicked prospering. Well, what's going on with that? I mean, it is, he, what's the problem is he has a simplistic view of scripture that many of us have because many of you are, are unfortunately been raised on certain theological traditions and you're listening to certain people on TV that are telling you, if you're good, you'll be blessed. 
and if you're bad, you won't be blessed. So be sure and be good, and then God will give you treats. But if you're bad, he's going to withhold the treats. Basically, if you're good, you'll prosper and you'll be healthy. If not, no go. It's a simplistic misunderstanding of the word of God because I'm here to tell you now, that is not always how life works out. And that's what the word teaches plenty of other places that those who are going to follow Jesus are going to suffer and believers can suffer greatly in this life. And you know what? The wicked can prosper. So what do you do about that? Well, let's see what he has to say about the wicked. Let's start with them. This is his envy. This is his sideway glance. Verses four and five. He says, for there are no pains in their death and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. You see, he's saying, he looks around and goes, these wicked people, they're, they're doing great. There's no trouble. They even die peacefully. In fact, they have their life full of ease, that their bellies are full of fat, which indicates that they are always eating at, out at the most expensive restaurants. And, and they are just carefree and full. Not only are the wicked carefree and full, but they're also violent and arrogant. Look at verse six. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imagination of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. So they're wearing this pride as their necklace along with the clothes of violence. Their, their eyes are fat with fullness and their hearts overflow with foolishness. So they are carefree and full along with the violent and arrogant. And you know what else? They're also cursing God. Look at verse 9. They have set their mouth against their heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the most high? So they're arrogant, they're carefree, they're foolish, and they're looking at God and saying, what are you gonna do about it? It's F saying, God, you can't do anything about it. You probably don't even see it. You probably don't even exist. And so they mock him. How does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? And then they curse him even more. Verse, you see it there once again. He says in verse 12, he says specifically, behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Once again, simplistic assessment of those walking with God and those not walking with God. Because those walking with God are supposed to be blessed and those not walking with God are supposed to be cursed. And yet what he sees is he feels like he's cursed and he feels like the wicked is blessed. And then he's pretty much going to say, what is the point of me walking in holiness? What is the point of me walking with God? If this is what I get and that's what they get, then what's the point? Anybody ever thought that? Like, what's the point? Things aren't going well for me and it's going great for them. What's the point? Well, 
Look what he says. He says it. He vocalizes what you have said in your heart. He says it. Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. He says, this is all pointless. It's in vain. I'm not prospering at all. What's the point? And and I've seen this so many times throughout the years especially when I'm, when I'm talking to, to people who, who deal with infertility and yet they turn sideways glance and they, they see a couple who is having kid after kid after kid and all they're doing is complaining about all their kids and how wicked their kids are and how wicked they are and yet they can't have kids themselves. They're like, what's the deal? I mean, maybe you've experienced this when you had a job back in the day. You're like, I was a good employee. I got passed over for promotion again and again and again. And now you're here in the village. And you say, I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to walk with the Lord. I'm here to follow Jesus. And you have chronic pain. And you look to the side and you see the wicked. And they're not giving any attention to Jesus or the Lord or the Bible or anything. And yet they're flourishing. And you're like, God, what's the point? What is the point? Well, now he's depressed. Verse 14, if I had said, I will speak thus, of verse 14, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, I was troublesome in my sight. Maybe some of you are right there. You look around, you see others prospering, even in people, you evil people, and you wonder why you're not. And if you ever get on social media, you certainly will feel this. Everybody's always so happy. Why are you not so happy? And comparison is killing you. A, a few years ago, I read a Christian book, and I'm not going to tell you the whole title. You can up, look it up the title la- later on. It's a, it's a Christian book for real. I don't like saying the word that they say in the title, so I'm going to replace the word Once again, Amazon, look it up later. It's a pretty good book. But the title of the book is, When Will My Life Not Stink? You ever feel like that? It's like, when's it gonna get good? It seems like it's problem after problem after problem after problem. Is is, is we're gonna have a little breakthrough here where I can have some ease for a little bit? And I've I've really vocalized this to uh, my uh, oldest daughter. I'm like, you know, sometimes I'm I'm just tired of all the attacks. I'm tired of all the attacks. I feel like, you feel like this way? When you, when you press in and you serve the Lord, you take steps of faith, then the, the attacks increase, right? I'm like, forget that. I don't like that. I'm gonna pull away. And you see others living at ease. And you're like, oh man, when will my life not stink? That's what the psalmist is feeling right now. But he's about to have a reorientation. And hopefully for you as well, a reorientation. Let's call it a turning point. Look at verse 16. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. And here it is. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Everything changed. You could say this. Here he is. Here he is. He's looking around, he's looking around, sideways glance, sideways glance, goes into the people of God, looks up. 
everything changes. Everything changes. And he starts to get this perspective. His heart starts to change. He's getting with the people of God. They're getting in the word of God. They're worshiping God. He said, everything is starting to change. He's starting to see things completely differently. And now he starts to understand, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a future for the wicked. Look what he says. Verse 18. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. As he's focused on the Lord, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, oh, I forgot, I forgot. Judgment is coming. The wicked will be judged. He's like, I totally, somehow he missed that. He saw them prospering. He thought, wow, it must be like that forever. He's like, no, no, no. God, his wrath is coming and it's aimed at those who do not know him. It's aimed here, as it says, at the wicked. And everything starts to change as he looks up. Now, he doesn't just come in and say, all right, I was envious. I looked up, all's good. No, no, no. He has to have some repentance. Look at verse 21. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. How about that for a confession? God, I'm sorry. I was like a monster before you. I was a beast before you. I was ignorant and senseless. I was saying foolish things, thinking foolish things. My heart was considering going over to the wicked ways. Please forgive me. And my brothers and sisters, for all those of you who believe in Jesus Christ, and we have those thoughts arise in our hearts, there is forgiveness. There is grace. For those of you who are struggling with doubts, thinking maybe, maybe, This life's not so good. I got to go with the wicked. Now, there is forgiveness. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to forgive sinners like you and like me and to fill us with the Holy Spirit and to purify us and to give us the mind of Christ to think like him. So he repents. And his repentance, he looks up, finds forgiveness. And then I'm going to tell you one of the most encouraging things about this psalm, and I want you to listen to it, okay? Okay. You can do this little exercise later. This is one of the most encouraging things you're going to see in Psalm 73. When he was disoriented, when he was focused on himself, all the pronouns in verses 13 through 17 is the pronoun pretty much I. Did you see that? Just just really hear me. 13 and 17, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Verse 14, for I have been stricken all along. Verse 15, if I had said. Verse 16, when I pondered to understand this. Verse 17, until I. So it's all about himself. All about himself. I, 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 I. It's often like that, right? When we get envious to a little pity party, it's all about us, right? I, I, I. So that is verses 13 through 17. You should go home and just circle all that, okay? Go, okay, I see it, I see it. But then reorientation. Notice in verses 18 through 20, the pronoun switches to you, all right? Start with verse 18. He says, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. 
Verse 20, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise them. So everything changes. He's all about me, 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 me. He looks up, you, 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 you. Now check this out. This is the best part. This is the best part. Verses 23 and 28. What's it going to be? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? And here it is, you and I. Woo, that's good, right? Yeah, right there. Amen, let's go. You know, that's good right there. Let's see it. Let's see it. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me. And afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. That is good. So he sees his heart focused on the Lord, you and I. He's walking with the Lord now, and he's got some really good perspective. He's like, okay, I get it now. We're walking. You're forgiving me. And, and I want you to think to yourself, let's kind of think of a New Testament perspective here. Let's think about the Apostle Paul going through some very difficult times, persecution, shipwrecked, you know, all, all the things he lists out. But he says this in Philippians. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he's like, all right, if I'm living, it's all going to be about Jesus. But death is gain. Why is death gain? Like if I asked you, why is it going to be so great when you die? You say, well, heaven got the streets of gold. I'm going to see people who believed. I'll see. No, no. Why is heaven so great? And the answer is Christ. You get Jesus face to face. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And so in your life right now, things aren't so great, you got Christ. Things look bleak, you got Christ. Things look really discouraged, you got Christ. Whom I have I in heaven but you, and on this earth there is nothing I desire beside you. And my brothers and sisters, we need that perspective because things can get so messed up in our thinking, especially as we see other people apparently flourishing. I was reading this story about this guy, and this, this is, it's a guy whose son has severe disabilities. And if you've ever been a caretaker of someone who is ill or is sick or disabilities, and it's day after day, and sometimes, uh, maybe you know this, you don't sleep a lot at night. So he's taking care of his son, and he's like looking around like, man, my life would be so much better if I didn't have my son. It'd be so much better I could be like them, I could be like them, I could be free, I wouldn't be burdened with this. And then he started to be reoriented. And he found that, that God is his strength. And he was reoriented to the fact that God is his sufficiency. He started to see, oh, God and God alone is enough. His heart started to say, I've got Christ. That's enough. No matter what's going on. No matter how ill you may be, no matter what location you may be in life. I mean, it, this, is, this is such a good word for those of you who, who know people who are even incarcerated or in jail or whatever situation there is. You can say, look, you have God, you have everything. Christ and Christ alone is enough no matter what's going on. And then he finishes it up. 
And he, t- he wants to turn this time into a revival. Verse 27, 28. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is good. It's my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I will tell of all your works. And it's right there, guys. I will tell of all your works. When I've been going through some crazy stuff this last month, I've had you come up to me and I believe you. You say, you know what, I understand because I've been through some similar things. When God brings you through some drama trauma, you're enabled to tell of all his works, not only to other believers, but you're able to tell of all his works to other people who don't know Jesus. People will say, yo, I see what you're going through right now. How are you able to even hang in there or think? You're like, I got Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus. He tells of all his works. He almost has a corporate revival here among Israel. So my brothers and sisters, you know, personal renewal believes in the sufficiency of God that no matter what is going on, God and God alone is enough. If you have this false notion that if you follow Jesus, your life will be blessed, where you're saying, I'm just sitting around waiting for my blessing. And by that you mean prosperity. And by that you mean perfect health. We got to get rid of that bad theology that's so simplistic that can trip you up. Because we will go through stuff on this earth until we're with Jesus. Until then, we have Christ one day face to face. And at times, you may have that sideways glance thing going on. You need to look up. There's this popular Christian story told. You know, sometimes when I read old-time Christian stories, I don't know if they're true or not, but they sound so good, I'm just going to tell you. You ever wonder that? You're like, is that true? So one time, I think this is true, a couple of missionaries were coming home on a ship at the same time as a political dignitary. And there was this big hero's welcome for this dignitary. And they're saying, we're so glad you're back. Welcome, big parade type thing. And these missionaries just sitting there on the side of the boat. And one of the missionaries was really kind of bitter. And they said, that's not fair. Where's our welcome? And the other missionary said, don't worry. We're not home yet. You're looking around, you're looking around, you're looking around. We're not home yet. But until then, God and God alone is enough until we see Christ face to face. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my... Church family, pray for myself. We struggle with issues of fairness. Sometimes we feel like we're getting ripped off. We see others prospering and wondering why we're not. And Lord, I just ask that somehow in our hearts we would quit looking around and look up and that you would give us this larger vision of who you are that we would see, yeah, Whom have I on earth besides you? My flesh, my heart, they may fail, but I got you. And Lord, I just ask that you would 
capture our minds and heart and give us a vision for you on a daily basis to turn our eyes off the things and the people of this world. And Lord, I just pray for my, some of the people that are maybe just in so much pain even here this morning, either whether it's physically or emotionally, or they see their relatives are struggling, and there's just a lot of struggle, and they're wondering how they're going to go on. Lord, give them a vision of you. Even in this last song, just give them a vision of you and who you are, where they take their eyes off of others and put it on you and you alone, for you are sufficiency. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.